Hear the word of God from John's first letter, chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Do that one more time, just because I like to give you guys practice, second shot of things. Good morning, church. Good morning. Love that. Hope everyone is doing well. I love being together with all of you. I love this season, right? I love the, the poinsettias and the, the tree and the lights. I, like, I love it so much. Christmas is one of those seasons for, for me, it's just this general feeling that's in the air, this feeling of home. I just love this season. Anybody else? Is this your favorite season of the year? I just love it. I actually like cold weather too, so it's perfect. Although today's not as cold, but it's okay. Love the season. Earlier this week, an amazing small group, a community group in our church, um, decided they wanted to bless my family by providing a meal for us. Uh, that was so kind of them, and it, it really meant a lot, but what they didn't know at the time that they decided to do this was that my wife was very sick that day and earlier, and my son had a rough week of school, and I recently got word that my father has stage four pancreatic cancer that's now in his lungs and bones. They didn't know all that. They just wanted to love us, and they did. They came at a perfect time to encourage us as a family, and it meant so much to us. And I share that because I want to share this with you. You never know what gestures that you may do, what moves of kindness, of love, that as you are led by the Holy Spirit, can do for people, right? It might seem like just a meal, 
But for us at that moment, it was so much more. And for you, it might be just a conversation. It might be just some money. It might be just a visit. It might be just a phone call. It might be just something. But you never know what those little things you do under the influence and the move of the Holy Spirit, what can do at that right time and that right moment for the people that you're called to do it for. I just want to say thank you to that community group, but I really want to use that more as an encouragement to the rest of us might seem small, but it's often the small things that have the biggest impact, isn't it? The small things at the right time that has the biggest impact in our lives. So I want to encourage you guys, the small things at the right time can have a huge impact when it's led by the Spirit. Today, as you already know, is the first Sunday of Advent. And our series during this Advent season will be focused on the Trinity. We're going to look at the Trinity at Advent, or in other words, the revelation of the Trinity in the Advent. And so today, what I want to focus on is today, in particular, this Sunday, first Sunday of Advent, I want us to focus on the love of the Father. The love of the Father. I feel like it's fitting because one, from my heart, as almost a therapeutic, uh, a healing balm in my heart, hearing this news about my father. And I feel like lately, most of you guys have heard, I've been kind of giving my parents a hard time. You know, kind of some of my sermons, I've been critiquing, not critiquing them, saying like, you know, Asian parents and how hard they were on his kids. So I felt like I should say some nice things about my parents anyway. So this is, this is for that reason anyway. But not, more than anything else, I really, having time to reflect and thinking about my dad's passing in, in the near future, he's going to, they, they, they said he might have at best six months, and it could be any time sooner than that. Just contemplating and thinking about and processing his love for me has allowed me to know deeper how much God's love for me means. And so I wanted us to just start from there and see the revelation, and our whole series of Advents could be the revelation of the Holy Spirit, of, of Jesus, of the Son, of the Father, of the Son, of the Spirit. And so we're gonna see the, really the Trinity in all of Advent, but today I just really wanna focus on the love of the Father. The love of the Father. If you look at verses 7 and 8, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born with God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Very clearly, John, in these verses, not only commands us to love one another, but he gives us the foundation for which we should love one another, for love comes from God. And that's because God is love. One of the most powerful statements about the very nature, the very essence of God, God is love. The Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 24, God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. The Bible tells in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, our God is a consuming fire. And all these statements are describing the very nature, the essence of God. But here we have a marvelous statement. He says, God is love. And what does John mean when he says, God is love? What does that mean when God is love? And what John means that God, to his very eternal essence and nature, is love. This is the most comprehensive of all biblical affirmations about the nature and character of God. God is love suggests love is such a necessary nature to who he is, such an integral part of his very essence that he, can, he cannot exist without loving. Love never is or can be absent from his being. I think that's such a marvelous idea. God can never be anything but loving. 
And this world of sorrow, this world of tragedy, we can rest in that marvelous truth, God is love. Yet, with all the heartache that we see in the world recently, there is a danger that we can be tempted to think, where could the God of love be? And we can rest in the assurance that the Bible is very clear, God is love. It's impossible for God to do anything, think anything, or act in any way that's contrary to his very nature, the essence of love. God will never violate his own nature. God's laws are loving, his judgments are loving, his actions are loving, and that's all God does. But there may be times where I don't understand God's ways. I can't comprehend what he's doing. I don't understand what God allows. And we've all been there, haven't we? Or if you haven't been there yet, you will one day, trust me. Where you're going to stop and you're going to think, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense, God. You're going to be at that one point where you're hit with news that's so devastating and so heartbreaking and it doesn't make any sense. And you're going to ask the question, you're going to ask why and how could God allow this pain and suffering? Am I right? If that hasn't happened to you yet, there's not many things I can promise you in this world, but that will happen. And so in the midst of that, you're, you're here, if you're thinking, God, if you are love, if love is who you are, if that is your essence, your attribute, this is the very essence, you cannot be anything but loving. God, if you are love, then why <clears throat> did this happen? How could you let this happen? And I honestly, with everything in my heart, if that's you asking that question today, with everything in my heart, I wish I had the easy, simple answer for you. If that's you today and you're thinking, Lawrence, I'm, I'm, I'm asking that question. Good question. Glad you asked it because I'm asking it. If you're telling me God is love, then how come that hurts so bad? How come he's letting that happen? And I wish I could say abracadabra. And you'd be like, oh. But I can't. Here's what I can say. I can, say, I can tell you that what I cling to. I can share with you the hope I hold on to. And my hope and the, the truth that I cling on to is that I believe that the Bible is real. I believe that this God of the universe who's a loving God is real and he says he is love so that if he is real and he says that he is love and love is who he is, that I have choose to believe that even in the hardest of time there is something loving happening. And I choose to believe that even when everything doesn't seem to make any sense, everything seems contrary to that belief, everything seems against it, I choose to cling to the anchor that is Jesus. Because I felt his love, I've known his love, I choose to believe that that love is real even in the hardest of times. So I can't give you an easy answer. I can tell you that there is hope when you choose to believe in the God of love. That there's purpose that can take you through the darkest of storms. That love is still moving and it still exists. I can tell you countless stories of people who've experienced the hardest of heartbreaks that choose to cling to love and hope exists and glory comes. So based on this concept, John's telling us in verse 7 that we ought to love one another, because God is love. That's who his nature is. And if we know that love, then we ought to love one another. And he says for two reasons, because love is God. Everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. It's an indication that you're a child of God. You know God. And in verse 8, he says, whoever does not love does not know God. So if you don't love, you know not God. Does that make sense? For God is love. Now, the list could go on and on, but let me mention some aspects of God's love. 
The Bible says God's love is great. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it speaks of the great love of God. It speaks of the great, how great it is, and so great that one word like we have in an English language isn't enough. Right? The Greek used another word for God's love. The word is agape. In our English language, it's funny, and I said this at many weddings that I've preached at, is that we use one word to describe how we feel about Reese's Cups to how I feel about my wife. Am I right? I love Reese's Cups. I love my wife. Same word. Am I right? We use one word how I talk about my children. I love my children. I love that new podcast I listened to yesterday. We use the same word. Is it the same meaning? No, obviously. I hope and pray that it's not the same meaning. All the Reese's cups are closed. Well, I'm, just, sorry. I'm just kidding, sweetheart. No. <laughs> the Greeks have different words for love. They have eros, or eros, which is kind of a romantic love. And you guys have probably heard all this before. Phileo, where we get Philadelphia, the city from, because it's known for its brotherly love. Not really, but I'm from there, so I can say that. I was born in Philly. And then they have the word storge, storge, which is a family love. And then the word agape, which is a divine, fervent, spiritual, or sacrificial love. When the way Plato and the ancients used it, it wasn't used often at all. This word agape love in the ancient texts was not used very, very sparingly, hardly ever used. It wasn't until the Bible that we see it used over 120 times. And this idea of agape love is one of self-service, it's of sacrifice, it's of, of action, it's actionable love. Even when the object of love doesn't reciprocate, there's a love that goes on giving. It's used in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world. Giving, sacrificial, self-denying, agape love. So love, God's love is agape. It's grace, infinite. It's, it cannot be exhausted. It cannot be understood. God's infinite love is unchanging. The theological term for that is immutable. And I thank God that his love doesn't change. It's uninfluenceable. And I would love to say that because I can't do anything to make God love me more because God just loves me perfectly as is. And I can't do anything to make God love me less. God's love is holy and unchanging. And let me just say that again to all of you. There's nothing you can do right now to make him love you more. Can I say that again? Because the reality is some of us grew up in situations where we feel obligated. We feel this desire innate inside of us to earn our parents' love more. Am I right? And some of you guys have changed that, to put that to God. And you have this kind of innate need. They say, I got to do better, do more to earn God's love more. Right? You don't need to. He loves you perfectly, and let that give you comfort because that means there's nothing you can do to get, lose his love for you. Now, it doesn't mean, oh, well, if I can't do anything more to mean God's love, then all my motivation to serve him is gone. I'm just going to do whatever I want. That's not what I'm saying. And if that's where you're at, then you probably don't know his love. I just love this. His love is holy. It's unchanging. It's gracious. Verse 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. We love him because his love was first, his love was pursuing. He first loved us, and we can only respond to God. We just respond to God and God's love for us. What a blessing that is. God loved us when we were unlovable, when we were sinners, when we wanted nothing to do with him, when we were rebellion towards him. He loved us. His love is so gracious. You know, in most all other religions of the world, you, you, you have to do something or earn merit or deserve, to deserve the favor of God. 
right? Most all those religions, you have to pray a certain amount of prayers or do a certain amount of acts or do certain things to earn his favor. But it's in Christianity that teaches salvation by grace alone through faith alone. That's what the Bible teaches us. And we see that God is love. And we see ultimately, though, that expression of love ultimately came down to earth. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God created us because he loves us and wants to have a relationship with us, but after God created us, the reality is humanity rebelled against him. The Bible says that we've all sinned and thus broken our relationship with God, but that never stopped God's love. Love began in heaven among the persons of the Trinity, but love came down to earth at Christmas. God sent his one and only son to the world that we might live through him. The Nicene Creed puts it this way. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God, begotten of his father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Is that on the screen? It should be on the screen if possible. Begotten, not made, being of one substance with the father by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from the heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. Or as we read in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The miracle of Christmas is that God in his love, God is the source of love, said, I will come down to truly show them what love really looks like. He left eternity, he left heaven, he left glories of heaven and came to earth as a tiny baby. And this is how God showed his love amongst us, that he sent his one and only son. Love began in heaven, but love came down to earth. And I want you to see this, this image, this picture, I want you to get this, that the Father is the source of love. We only know what love is because love exists because that is who God is. And so we know what love is, now we know ultimately it was expressed and ultimately given by coming on earth so we can see what that looks like in the flesh. And we see it in the life of Jesus, don't we? We see what love looks like fleshed out in human life. We see it ultimately displayed at the cross where love was self-sacrificing and self-giving. Love was willing to die and pay ultimate price. And he came to rescue you. Love came down. I remember one day as I was a kid, there was these woods and forests around where I grew up. Well, looking back now, it's probably just like a bunch of random trees and stuff. I thought it was like, a, I thought it was like the woods, you know? And there's the woods where I used to play. And one summer day, I was out late playing. My parents got off work around 8.30, so we'd have like really late dinner during summer times with them. So they'd come home from work, and we were having dinner. It was really late at night, around 8.30. Then I remember that, oh, I left my dad's knife that I borrowed out in the woods where I was playing. So I kind of panicked. I got a little freaked out. So I took off right after dinner to go find it. Now, I'd never played in the woods late at night. It was always during the day that I played in the woods. So I went looking for this spot where I was playing in the woods, and I found my knife. And by the time I found my knife, I realized it was really dark outside now. It was like 9.30, it was really dark, it was cloudy night, I got really scared. I, I forgot to bring a flashlight in my hurry. And so I started wandering around the forest and I was scared to death. There were shadows everywhere and I was like, there's like lions here, right? I mean, it was, this is Florida, lions exist, right? Or bears or something's gonna get me. And I was so scared. And I remember just being afraid and no tears were coming out, I was just, but there was just really moisture outside and I wasn't crying or anything. 
I remember being so afraid and lost. But then I remember I saw a light coming in the distance. Then I heard my name being called out. And it was my dad. And I would be like, oh, I got so happy. Because I was so scared, I was so lost, but then I saw a light and I heard my dad saying, Lawrence, Lawrence, I was like, dad, dad. And he came searching for me, he came into the woods and he grabbed me and we went home together and I was so thankful. So grateful that when I was lost in the woods, my dad came and found me. I want you to learn today that the love of the Father, what Advent celebrates is that your dad came looking for you with a flashlight. Your dad entered into the woods where you're scared and when you're alone. He said, I'm here. I got you. Come with me. In John verses 11 through 15, John moves to the purpose of God's love. He, he proclaims God's love, so he gives us proof of God's love in his coming to earth, and thirdly, he gives us the purpose of God's love. He says, dear friends, if God so loved us, what, also, what, else, what we also ought to do is what? Love one another. Do you know that the message of Christmas is the message that we should love one another? I, I want you to get this. The initial message is that God came and he loved us. He went searching for us in the woods. He rescued us. Now he wants us to love one another. There's a song, verse of a song that goes, surely he taught us to. Who said that? Good job, Nathan. <laughs> love one another. Thank you. I think I said that totally wrong, by the way. I can't remember how it went. But either way, <laughs> thank you. It's not just God's love for us that we sing about at Christmas, but that God taught us to love one another. He says, dear friends, since God has loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. God has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. I want you to see from this text that God has come so that we who are lost in the woods can be known and to be saved. And he wants to do that. Then he wants us to love one another. The gift of God's Son not only assures us of God's love for us, but lays upon us an obligation no one who has been to the cross and seen God's immeasurable, unmerited love can go back to life of selfishness. I want you to notice in the text here, there are five reasons that Christians should love. The first is verse 7, love is of God. The second, verse 8, God is love. Third, verse 9, 10, 11, because of what God did, gave his son. Fourth is verse 12, so that others may see God in us. And I want you to see verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. In other words, we don't see God with our naked eye. God is spirit, and we, don't, we can't really see who he is. But God can be seen in the lives of those who practice his love. That's what John is saying here. You can see God manifested in the lives of his people. And what a concept for us. People can see that God, people can see and know God through the way we love one another. There's a line in the play, uh, Les Miserables. At the very end of it, it says this one line that I love so much. It says, to love another person is to see the face of God. 
And what I mean, what I believe the writer is in, in that song and what, what John's also talking about here is that what he's, he says, when we love one another, his love, he dwells in us and his love is made complete in us. And what that literally is showing is that when we love each other well, the type of love that says we've been rescued by God, we've been called to faith and life within him, and then when we love each other in such a way, what people see when that happens is they can't help but see love, and when they see true love, that means they see God. Because what do we say? Who, what is God? God is love. And so this beautiful equation happens in our lives. It's when we are rescued and then we love one another. When we do that, they get to see who God is. How incredible is that? I mean, I hope that hits your heart. For me, when I think about this, and I, I, growing up, I always wanted to be one of those guys that, I always wanted to make my parents proud. Right? I mean, I think everybody does that, right? But I really wanted to make my dad proud of me. And so I wanted to be a cool guy. You know, I wanted to make a lot of money, make good grades. I wanted to be everything that my dad thought was cool. I don't know about you guys. But that, that's just me. And I realized something. What God is calling us to be, when we, when, when, when God's, when we want to be like our dad, when we want to make things, when God, in this beautiful, incredible way he designed the world, he says, I just want you to love so you can, people can see me. I just want you to love. And I just, I often think about, and my dad was wonderful, and he wasn't perfect in any way, and I, obviously one day my son might be up here somewhere being like, my dad did all these terrible things too, so I, I got to say everything very carefully here. <laughs> my dad didn't know how to communicate that truth. My dad tried. He tried his best to communicate how much he loved me. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt in my heart, my dad loved me radically. But I didn't know what it, what it meant to, to make him proud. Here's the beautiful thing about our God, our Father. How to make him proud. He's already proud of you. He already loves you. He, there's no making him proud. But how to walk in his will. How to, how to, to show. What, all he's saying to you is just, just love. That's it. When you love one another, when you love each other, when you love each other, then they'll know that you're my children. That's what it means. You know, I often joke about my parents were growing up, they're always like, Lawrence, let them know that you're you. And I was like, what does that mean, Dad? He's like, oh, I mean, you know, you make good grades. Oh, so you make, okay, whatever, fine. Whatever it may be, we can let them know that we belong to this family by acting in this way. You know, back in the day when you used to go to Korean church, all the parents were like, oh, you're definitely your dad's son. You know, if I did something or laughed a certain way or made a joke or did something. People say that about Hudson. When Hudson does something, they're like, oh, you're, yep, you're Lawrence's son. We get to live a certain way and we say, oh, you're, you're, you're a child of God because you love like he does. How incredible is that? When we think about love and a father's love, I get, I'm getting emotional just because of what's happening this season in my life. But this, is, this should be emotional any season. 
That we see during Advent that God came and he showed his radical love for you by coming into the woods, coming to the dark places, coming into the fullness of time. He promised he would come and he came searching for you and he provided a way for you to know what love is and that as you receive it, all that he's saying now is like, hey, just sit, live in my love and love other people so that other people can know. What a glorious exchange that we have. Corey Tent Boom has this quote. She says this, who can add to Christmas? The perfect motive is that God so loved the world. The perfect gift is that he gave his only son. The only requirement is to believe in him. The reward of faith is that you shall have everlasting life. Love came down at Christmas. Will you receive God's love? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for such love. I love that manifested itself by you coming down and sending your son to look for us and search us out and find us to die upon the cross for our, for our sins and to give us eternal life. And God, we think that love also manifested itself so fully in the way that you're not calling us to earn more merits, to, to be better than anything, that your love is immutable, it's unchangeable, it's uninfluenceable. God, that you just called us to be loved by you and rest in that love and love others. So God, we celebrate Advent. We thank you for your arrival and know that you're coming again to make all things right. We praise you and love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's the first Sunday of the month, and this is the Sunday when we come to take Lord's Communion, uh, Lord's Supper, or Holy Communion. We come and we do a time of confession. Normally we do it during our, our prayer time, but because of the Advent wreath lightings, that's, that's our, each, each week that's our prayer time. But we, did, we wanted to continue our, our pattern of confession at the first Sunday of the month, and you can confess anytime. You can come to God anytime, but this is a special time. We, we come to the Lord's table twice a month. That's how our church does it. Some churches do it once a week. Some churches do it once a month. There's no clear pattern in the text of how often you should do it, but it says you need to do it. We need to, as followers of Christ, we need to come to the Lord's table to remember, to confess, and to do it together as a family. And as we think about the love of God, the love that he has for us, and also the love that he's asked us and commanded us to extend toward others. I want to allow all of us to take some time in your seat to just confess to God. Just whatever you heard this morning through the passage read, that's a very powerful passage, that 1 John 4 passage. It seems like, man, if I don't love my brother and sister, I don't have love for God. That's kind of scary. It's beautiful, but it's, it's a little scary. And it's not meant to scare us. It should be meant to bring us into a pattern of, wow, God loved me so much. God forgave me. God showed me mercy when I was his enemy, when I was against him. How can I not extend love and grace and peace toward those, even those who have I'm in conflict with. This doesn't mean that you accept other people's sin. This just means that you 
live in peace and learn what it means to be a follower of Christ. So right now in your seat, I'm going to ask all of us to just take a moment and just confess whatever you need to confess to God. If, if, you're, if you have a hard time imagining this, just imagine breathing. Like we have to get rid of the CO2. Doing a little biology lesson here, right? We have to get rid of the junk. If you, if you, if you don't breathe in the fresh oxygen, you will die. So we, as, as Christians, when we come to the table, we're just breathing out the junk, breathing out the hurt, breathing out the ways we've hurt others and, and the way we need to come to this table and ask for God's forgiveness. So, so just breathe it out. Just confess to God whatever you feel like he's laying upon your heart to confess. Your own sin and, and how you've treated others or your relationship with others. Take a big exhale. Now take a big, deep breath and breathe in the Spirit. Breathe in the forgiveness. Breathe in the grace and the mercy that Christ gave us at the cross and is, can lived out as a reality through His resurrection. And breathe in the hope that one day God will come back and make this all right and new. And breathe in the hope and live in the hope that right now, that even though today is hard and tomorrow is hard, that you can live for God and you can trust him no matter what comes your way because you are forgiven people with a hope and a future. Amen. You are forgiven in the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. At the same time, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, you remember my death. And he, Paul says, every time we take this meal, we remember it until Jesus returns. Here at Waypoint Church, we practice something called intinction. I'm going to ask the uh, band and the servers to come on up, and then I'm going to explain how we do it. We practice something called intinction here where you're going to, you'll, these folks will walk up here, y'all will walk here, that section will go there, that section will go there, and you'll be handed a cracker. Uh, these are gluten-free. And you'll take the cracker and you'll dip it lightly in the juice, and you can eat it immediately, or you can walk back to your seat, take some time to reflect, and then take it. There's no right or wrong way to do that. If you need to, there are some individual stations for health reasons or other reasons in the back corner. You'll see them uh, on a table with a little napkin over them if you need to take one individually for your sick or something and you can't come forward. But for everyone else, this is a meal for the followers of Jesus, those who have been forgiven and set free by Jesus to come forward and take. So please rise and uh, take the meal starting with the front rows and then we'll, you can come forward accordingly.
Father, we thank you for the new covenant we have in your blood, not a covenant that you'll come and destroy us and all our brokenness and all our evil and sin, but a covenant that you love us and you are called, you saved us and you're redeeming us and you're using us as vessels to love this world and to serve this world and to show, extend your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness wherever we go as your people. We praise you and thank you for your mercy. Thank you for this new covenant we have in your blood. May we go and live in the love of Jesus and the love of God everywhere we, we go until we come back again to this table and receive your grace and mercy again. We give you all the praise in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.